Welcome to the Action Network Podcast, the number one show for the invested sports fan. All right, here we go. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Action Network podcast. This is the Week 8 College Football Betting Preview. I'm Stucky, and with me, as always, is Colin Wilson. You over the uh, that card, South Alabama loss from last night? Looking at this Saturday card, and I'm wondering the next time I'm going to get Cephas Johnson. That throw that he threw to the, to the sideline and then for a pick six... The goal-to-go situations, the drive where, you know, Troy just went down the field and scored a touchdown. And then South Alabama, just no interest in scoring, running dives and fumble. Just your typical fun belt weekday dog. We'll have many more of those. Don't let the ladies come between you and the belt. We have more weekday football that we both like on Friday night, which we'll get to later in the show, as well as the marquee games of the weekend there's a few we'll also go through each conference as we do each week we'll hit on a game or two that piques our interest Uh, but first as we do each week let's start with look ahead or look away hangovers sleepers and the dreaded sandwich spot is it time to look ahead or look away Uh, For those not familiar, this is when we look at next week's slate and try to determine if there's any betting value or angles worth considering for this week's slate. So, you know, if the team has a big game on deck, they might be looking ahead, lack of prep this week, they might pull their starters earlier. There's a few big games next weekend that are worth considering, two in particular, which we'll cover here. The first of which is Ohio State-Wisconsin, just an enormous game next weekend. But before that happens, we have this week where Wisconsin goes to Champaign, your favorite team, Illinois. Wisconsin is Uh 31-point favorites. Like I said, they have Ohio State on deck. There's probably no reason to blow this out. There might be some rain in the forecast. This line seems really steep, but unless Wisconsin's playing the voodoo of Northwestern, they just seem to be blowing out. All of these bad teams, Wisconsin's giving up 4.8 points per game. That leads the nation. Penn State's next with 8.2. Their defense has been excellent at every level. Jonathan Taylor, obviously, in that offensive line. But this line seems like it's out of hand. You're going to make me play Illinois, aren't you? Once it got to 31 and a half, I said, okay, come on. This is ridiculous. I have to do this. So the number that I have is, you know, let's just assume there's no look ahead and let's assume Illinois knew how to defend the run. The true pure number against the power rating is 24 and a half. And I'm not alone there. That's a number that I set this game at. I know SP Plus has this at 24. I know even ESPN FPI, if you follow that, they have this game at 28. 
Nobody has 31 and a half. It's so overinflated. It's crazy. But when you get into the numbers, Illinois is 117th and uh, defending opponent rushes over 20 yards. So Wisconsin's going to be able to run at will. They might as well just roll a red carpet through the middle of the fighting Illini defense and just let Jonathan Taylor walk right on through because it's going to be probably that easy. I will say that both teams rank top 30 in Havoc, but Illinois' offensive line and just offense in general, they're 112th in Havoc allowed. Just no ball protection. If you're watching an Illinois game, the ball is everywhere. I mean, Wisconsin can name it. It's completely overinflated. Illinois is going to make me play them. It's going to be a minimal amount of money, but I mean, the number's just outrageous. Well, think about it. Wisconsin, a couple weeks ago, was a 35-point home favorite against Kent State. Now they're mm. a 31-point favorite against Illinois on the road. That, so this line is assuming, you know, obviously you have adjustments in Wisconsin rolled Michigan State, but just on the surface, take it for what it is. This line's assuming that Kent State and Illinois are equal. I believe that. If you wanted me to go through, like, the power ratings real quick, I mean, I think I would make Illinois about a 13-point favorite on a neutral, maybe more. Not The, the number's bad. Now, I said we'll get to the Friday night slate later, and we will, but we'll cover one of the Friday night games now because it fits the bill here. Ohio State, Wisconsin next weekend. Ohio State first has a Friday night game in Evanston. I think it's a blackout. I think Northwestern's going to have the all-black uniforms. Maybe it'll help with the Northwestern voodoo. Mm. Cats, cats. But the Northwestern team is hilarious to me because their defense is playing really well. They don't they don't give up any explosive plays. They give up two pass plays of 30 plus yards. Only UCF's allowed fewer. Four runs of 20 plus yards. That's top 20 nationally. So that'll help against Dobbins. And the defense is 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 really good. They're the funny thing like if you look at their S&P ratings, they're rated 5th on defense and 124th on offense. That is the biggest gap of any team since drumroll 2015 Northwestern. The offense is so fucking bad. It's hard to describe. I mean, they're, they average 3.9 yards per play. That's dead last in college football. We're talking about a data set that includes UMass and Akron. They're averaging 14.4 points per game, the third fewest. The only two teams averaging fewer are Akron and Rutgers, two teams that have one combined win over UMass, and UMass also beat one of them. So the offense is just... So bad. Now, this number seems too high. Pat Fitzgerald has been awesome as a double-digit dog. He always gets his teams to overperform. He's 11-3-1 as a double-digit dog in his last 15 games since 2014. Oh, those 15 games, he has six outright wins. And, you know, maybe Ohio State pulls their starters. Maybe they're caught looking ahead. But the talent differential is so big here. And the Ohio State defense is so good at all three levels. I don't know how Northwestern scores without voodoo. So while I think the line is a little high, I don't know if I want to get in front of this uh, Ohio State train, which has burned me a couple times and ran me over already this year. What are your thoughts here? I don't think this is a, well, you got to take the points because it's too high. I mean, I make it 26 and a half, so it's not too far off. But, I mean, I'll run over a couple statistics, and then I'll tell you what conspiracy Colin thinks. I mean, the Northwestern offense is 116th in Havoc allowed. That's really bad against this Ohio State defense who's second in Havoc. Wildcats are 128th in red zone points per attempt. 
They're one of the worst teams in the nation coming away from the red zone points. They're 119th in punting. They're 109th in third down conversions. The numbers are bad. They're bad every year with Northwestern. It sucks us in. The statistical analysis that we do every year sucks us in, and then Pat Fitzgerald makes us pay for it because they've always been one of the worst teams in second-order win totals. I will say this. They are 14th in defending explosive passing, but that's what we got caught up into last year, the Big Ten championship game, and there was a front-door cover from Ohio State there at the end of the game. Power rating me is going to say 28 is too much. Situational Collins is going to tell you that the Ohio State's got Wisconsin on deck and Ryan Day may not run one play that's not already on tape. Why would he run anything new at any new scheme? Conspiracy me is going to tell you that the Ryan Field ground crew is growing the grass out as long as they possibly can to slow down the Buckeyes attack. But to me, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm going to take a first half over 27 and then I'm going to take a second half Northwestern and under. So the basis behind that is... Ohio State scored at least 27 points in the first half of every game they've played. The first half over in this game is 27. Ohio State's been able to do that against every opponent. Hey, we get a Northwestern defensive TD thrown in there, or if they luck out and get something down the field and get some points, get a field goal on the board, great. That helps us out. But I'm going first half over. And then if you take a look at some of Northwestern's box scores, their best quarter, Fitzgerald's best quarter has been the third quarter. They haven't allowed, I think they've. I think if you take out Michigan State's 10 points, Northwestern's only allowed seven points to UNLV, Stanford, Nebraska, and Wisconsin. When I say second half Northwestern, what I really mean is if Northwestern is going to get the ball to start the second half and they have the last drive of the of the first half in the second quarter, I'm going to play it live. Obviously, if they get two offensive possessions in a row, I'm going to play them live. If they don't, then I'm going to play Northwestern in the second half. And I'm just going to play the under because I fully expect Ohio State to sit on the ball. And I think that's when Pat Fitzgerald will get his adjustments in place and come out fired up and, and cover a second half number. You basically read my mind. In our, in our write-up for this game, which we'll have out on the Action App and Action Network.com, we'll have them for all the weekday games, as we always do. I did said the same thing. I said, look, if you want to play Northwestern, and I may do this, I, you have to play them live or in the second half, uh, especially if this gets just way out of hand. Ohio State's just going to sit on it. They're going to pull their starters, worry about health, worry about next week. So that's the, that's the way to go about this. Even though the number's inflated, I want no part of Northwestern pregame. All right, so let's move on here. The other big game next weekend is LSU and Auburn. Uh, before then, they are both going on the road. We're going to start with your boys. It's time for you to <laughs> lie to me. It's up to, I think, 19, 19 and a half. Auburn is 19, 19 and a half point favorites at Arkansas in Fayetteville. I know I don't really need to go too much into uh the numbers here or my thoughts because you know you're an Arkansas fan and alum you pretty much always nail their games I trust your your word pretty blindly on the hogs here we do know that Auburn is coming off of a bye after that Florida loss with LSU on deck but Gus takes this game personally you think Auburn rolls and doesn't have any look ahead here Woo pig suey Absolute dumpster fire, dumpster fire. I don't know how we win a game the rest of the year. Just blow the program up. Give us a death sentence. Collins talking Razorback football. Yeah, Gus takes this game very personally, and I think that they want to what you and I call get healthy after you know coming off the bye and having all that time off and taking a loss uh, into the bye. Uh, especially, I think Bo Nix wants to further his uh, transformation into throwing downfield, being instead of you know throwing out to the flats all the time. Bo Nix season in full effect. 
it's a perfect defense to do it against. So many missed assignments in the secondary by Arkansas. But I go back to the whole thing. Is it a is it a number that's inflated? Yes, it is. Against a power rating, I make it 16 and a half. So at 19, I don't think it's going to stop. It's probably going to get up to 21. But Gus Malzahn uses this as his platform every year to build a bigger buyout and to build a bigger annual salary. People don't understand that anytime Gus is in trouble at Auburn, Arkansas is waiting with a $100 million contract just dying for him to come back home. Gus is originally from, he coached at Shiloh Christian High School, then Springdale High School, then he was Arkansas's offensive coordinator. And if you don't know all of that entire spiel, it's anything that anyone comes from Arkansas ever talks about. Gus Malzahn is our dream. So he uses this game to really kind of play both sides, and he runs up the score. If you look at what we've scored against Gus the last three years, uh, three last year, 20 the year before, and three the year before that, if the defense can pitch a shutout, he's obviously going to do it. So we talked last week about Arkansas being one of the worst teams in the nation in red zone scoring. That didn't change against Kentucky. They, I mean, they got some points up on the board, but they are still bottom five in the country in red zone scoring. Auburn's defense is ninth in opponent red zone points per attempt and 10th in opponent red zone scoring. I wouldn't be shocked to see Arkansas either get shut out or have a score less than seven points. Fair enough. There's your hog report from Colin. The other game that we have to talk about here is obviously the other side of the coin with LSU. So before that game, now, they're coming off, this is a big-time sandwich spot for LSU, coming off that win against Florida. Classic sandwich. We sure have a lot of sandwiches. 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 And then, you know, they have Auburn on deck. But before that, they go to Stark Vegas in a really interesting game, a really interesting line, in that I think I've seen it tick down to 17. LSU is a 17-point favorite here at Mississippi State. And Mississippi State has just looked dreadful their defense is dreadful their offense is lost there are multiple quarterbacks each quarter you don't know who's going to play quarterback although i think trader's going to play this week mississippi state's coming off a loss um as a road favorite at tennessee and that was off of a bye by the way the game before that they got trucked by auburn let bo nicks go absolutely nuts and we've seen what bo nicks did against florida well against mississippi state bo nicks looked like montana they also lost at home to Kansas State. I mean, this team's just been a mess. There's articles coming out on NJ.com about, all right, what is what will it cost to buy out Joe Moorhead? I don't know if Moorhead has lost the <laughs> team or what's going on with Moorhead down there in Starkville. You'd imagine the crowd is going to be up for it. LSU, it's a terrible situational spot. But I haven't seen anything from Mississippi State to give me any confidence in wanting to back them against this super explosive LSU team. I mean, this offense is for real. What do you think here? Yeah, I think Moorhead, things are starting to get personal because after the game last week, he talked about how people were yelling at his freshman daughter. Uh, the crowd was yelling at his freshman daughter about how you suck and your dad sucks and everything sucks and sucks, sucks, sucks. And then Joe Moorhead ended that story by saying, I did suck. I do suck. It wasn't a typical post-game comments coming out of Joe Moorhead this past week. And I think things are getting pretty bad. And now I'm starting to see some players transfer out of the program. So I'm not really sure, like from the inside out, from the, you know the places that we can't see, I think things are pretty unhappy. And I'm not sure if that applies to Joe Moorhead and himself and what he's thinking about what he's got himself into. Uh, on the other hand, you're right, LSU, there is look ahead. Uh, but at the same time, I'm not sure LSU is the kind of team that wants to take a week off offensively. I think they want to be firing on all cylinders at all time. I'm not advocating that you know over 62 is a good play because I'm not sure if Mississippi State can put up their share. LSU's defense has heard everybody, all of us talking about how they're giving up too many points, giving up too many drives to Florida. 
giving up too many points to Texas, giving up 30-something to Vanderbilt. Uh, I think that's been a point of emphasis this week, and they've heard about it. So I can't suggest an over here, uh, but at the same time, I can't support Mississippi State. So officially, it's a no play. If I had to put some money down somewhere, it'd probably be on just an LSU team total over. Hope you're enjoying this great Action Network podcast. I want to make sure you know about the Locked On Podcast Network. Locked On has a daily podcast on your favorite team. Welcome to you, Locked On 49ers. You are locked on to the Dallas Mavericks. Welcome, everybody, to the Locked On Lakers podcast. Let's go. Locked On podcasts are hosted by the local experts who know your team better than anyone and give you the inside scoop. So go to your podcast app and search Locked On, your favorite team. Subscribe to your Locked On podcast. Fair enough. All right, let's move on to the Week 8 slate by conference. We'll start in the ACC, cover off a few games here. Let's start with Louisville-Clemson. Clemson, right around 24-point favorite at Louisville. You know, Clemson did come out after the bye, and they throttled and covered against Florida State. But look, they have, you know, Louisville this week. They have Boston College at home next week. And then they play Wofford at home. Wolford, Wofford, whatever you want to say, Colin. And then they're, you know, NC State, then home against Wake. Then they're at South Carolina, which maybe it could be interesting from what we see. But, I mean, do they go back into sleep mode here? What what has been wrong with Clemson? I mean, they haven't played. They've won every game. They just haven't looked as impressive. They, Trevor Lawrence hasn't looked as good. So I was reading a lot of, you know, looking into some of their games, reading a lot of you know, Clemson message boards, and it seems they just really miss Renfro on, like, third downs. He was just always getting open, and he was such a safety blanket for – Lawrence, who now has to, you know, instead of that, he's forcing more balls downfield. You know, there more of them are ending up in picks and or in completions and ending drives, mm-hmm. and their offense just isn't as explosive. Their defense, amazingly, and you got to give credit to Venables, has been awesome. They lost seven starters. They switched to a three-three-five, completely changed their scheme. Sometimes three-two-six, and their defense has been awesome. It's a matter of can Louisville run the ball on this defense? I mean, they haven't played a t- ton of good offenses, but the defense still looks. Solid as always, which you would expect from Venables. What do you see here with Louisville-Clemson? I think there may be a chance for Louisville to have a little bit of success running the ball. So Louisville is now 10th in rush explosiveness. Uh, That number shocked me. Now, I know that we saw the huge yards with the Wake Forest game. Notre Dame game, too. I mean, that's that's the reason why, uh, you know, a lot of points were scored there. And Notre Dame had to sweat that one a little bit. Now, Clemson's got, you know, pretty good, pretty good success rate against the rush. But if you look into things like on Football Outsiders, like they're 32nd in line yards on defense. They're 61st in stuff rate defensively, which surprises me. They're not stopping the runner before the line of scrimmage. So I think Louisville is at least going to be able to hit the line of scrimmage, and they may be off running. I think there's going to be some success here with Louisville running the ball. Now, can you beat Clemson with just a, a running attack? Probably not. I mean, can you cover the spread? Probably, especially if Clemson is happy with what happened against Florida State, and they go back into sleep mode this week. So I'm not rushing to play Louisville, and I definitely want the 24-and-a-half, but it's definitely the side that I'm looking on. Yeah, and I'm sure Satterfield will have uh... – a couple things up his sleeve for this game. They can't get too far behind early is the key uh, in this game. Uh, Another game in the ACC that we want to check off is Florida State and Wake Forest. This line is, uh, I think Wake Forest is down to a one and a half, two point home favorite. What sticks out to me with Florida State, and we said this going into the year, last year their offensive line, was an absolute train wreck. And it was one of the reasons why you know they ended their bowl streak and they just struggled so much. Their offensive line was one of the worst in the nations. I'm talking about Florida State. Well, this year, same deal. Their offensive line is atrocious. I think I read somewhere that their left tackle is the lowest rated 
tackle in all of college football. Again, this is a college football that has UMass and Akron and all these group of five. Florida State has the worst. You know, if you look at some of their their metrics, they're 123rd in line yards. I mean, the offensive line is just a train wreck here. Uh, Wake Forest defense also can be a train wreck at times. I don't think I'm going to get involved here. Uh, It looks like a coin flip to me. Um, What do you see here? Wake Forest is averaging 87.4 plays per game. Speed racer. Florida State is 130th in time of possession. They average 24 minutes a game. If you're going to give a Wake Forest team that is tops in the nation and plays per game, 36 minutes, just grant them 36 minutes of play. I can't even imagine what the final score. Now, projection-wise, it's a little bit below. what It's a 68. I got to project it just a little bit below. But considering that, you know, Wake is 119th themselves in defending explosive plays, and Florida State is 57th in overall defensive explosive plays, I think Wake Forest is going to score a whole bunch more. But the fact that Florida State is worse than the nation in time of possession and Wake is number one in plays per game, Wake could get 70, couldn't they? I mean, could they logistically not get 70? How many possessions are they going to have? Uh, 18, 19, 20, 21? It's going to be amazing. But one of the things to consider, remember how we we saw early in the year with Florida State, how you know they would kind of just melt down towards in the second halves, and they look you know like they weren't well conditioned. It happened against Boise. They got outscored 17-0 in the second half. It happened against La Monroe. They gave up 31 in the second half. So maybe something to consider here is, you know, Wake Forest as fast as they go. Do they do they wear out? You know, is, is Florida State, their defensive line, is it wore out by the second half? Are they worn out? I, I don't know. It's something to watch, at least. But, yeah, that's definitely an interesting thought that you just had. Uh, any interest in betting either side, or are you going to wait for live? I mean, sidewise, I mean, what's the point spread at one and you're expecting, you know, points of about 70, you're going to be able to get, this is a perfect live betting game. I mean, you're going to yep. be able to get at least three and maybe seven on both sides. Yep. Completely agree. Um, all right. Let's move on to the AAC. Uh, we'll start with uh, a pretty intriguing game here with Temple against uh, our number one, SMU, undefeated, ranked 6-0 after that scare uh, against uh, Tulsa at home. They've had a bye now they get Temple at home. Temple off an upset win over Memphis. And again, you know, they got pretty fortunate and early with some turnovers. Is SMU and they're undefeated and rank? And uh, because of that, are they overvalued here? I, I think SMU is overvalued here. I think it should be at four. I think what's the most important handicap going on here is that Temple's 25th in defensive passing success rate. So everything that we've talked about this year is SMU, their passing attack, what the seeker has meant to them, to that machine. The best kept secret in college football. SMU has the seeker. They call me the seeker. Uh, giving their reps to their wide receivers. And with Temple ranking in the top 25 in defensive passing success rate, I think that's going to slow SMU down a little bit, which makes the eight. I expect this game to be a four, not at eight. So how am I going to play this? I'm looking for Moneyline Parlay pieces to match with one of the premier games this weekend, and SMU is a good-looking piece to put into a Moneyline Parlay. Yeah, something to keep in mind is their star receiver, Reggie Roberson, who we talked about a lot in this podcast, he is was upgraded to probable. And we talk about the seeker. And if you look at most catchable targets without a drop this year's per pro football focus of wide receivers, of the top six, 
Reggie Roberson and James Prochet. Prochet has 44 catches without a drop. Roberson, 34. Others on that list, Gandy Golden from Liberty, getting balls from Buckshot. And Devin Duvernay has caught 53 balls without a drop. So those receivers are excellent. The seeker seems to be working. Uh, another game, a ranked team, newly ranked team, might be a little overvalued is Cincinnati against Tulsa. Now, Tulsa's 2-4, and four, but they've really been competitive. We just talked about them losing that heartbreaker. And again, they should have won at SMU. They had a lead against Oklahoma State in the second half. They really just don't match up well against Navy. They had a touchdown call back, which also flipped that game. You know, Cincinnati... Their defense is excellent. They have a great punter. I mean, their defense is just really good. Um, there's no other way to put it. But 17 here, it seems a little rich. But I, I don't know where Tulsa's head is at after some of these losses. And any faith in back in the Golden Hurricane going up to Cincy this weekend? I was actually studying when you were tweeting at me the other night about going through the the, the dumpster the the dumpster bin looking for teams to bet on. We're gonna dumpster get some of those dumpster finds. Don't you worry. <laughs> Tulsa does have a top twenty five rank in defensive pass success rate, which is big against Cincinnati. But there's just something I can't get over with Tulsa, and that is that Cincinnati's thirty sixth in havoc. Tulsa's hundred second havoc allowed. That's a bad matchup. It's the reason why I've been I faded Tulsa last week, and Navy just tore them apart. I make this game actually Cincy minus 14, so it's a little inflated, so it won't be a play for me. Uh, but, uh, you know, if Tulsa can protect the ball, if Tulsa can keep Havoc allowed from being a problem, then they should cover this game just fine. Uh, last game we'll cover in the AAC. My boys, uh, Tulane, who I love. We have 35-1 to 1 to win the conference. It's a huge game. They're off a bye after just shredding Army in a game that has a misleading uh, final score taking on Memphis, and I was hoping Memphis pulled out the win against Temple but didn't cover to make this spot better for Tulane. Tulane's catching four here. I'm very close to pulling the trigger on my boys once again. I have been higher on them in the market all year long. This should be a really good game. Memphis is legit, and like I said, they did they did kind of get jobbed and unlucky last week at Temple. Uh, what do you make of this game? Yeah, and I think you should pull the trigger. I think it's going to come back down. But Memphis is 88th in defending rush explosiveness, and that's going to be a problem against Tulane. I make the game Memphis minus two. These teams are really similar, like eerily similar in the stats. Like they're almost exactly the same in yards per play versus their opponent yards per play, the differential. Their strength of schedule is 88th and 89th. To this point, Tulane's been the better red zone team. Uh, and there's just a couple other statistical categories as far as explosiveness goes where it favors Tulane. So. While you know Memphis is a boomer bust offense, I think Tulane's the one that's going to have a little bit more success rate on the offensive end. You know, could outright upset. Although I think you know Memphis minus two is the true number. All right, let's run through the Big Twelve here quickly. You know, we both I, I saw on the app that you played Kansas. I played Kansas as mm -hmm. well, catching twenty one and a half. I can't believe I'm going back to Kansas. Uh, but Texas, <laughs> look. After watching them last week, they should have been blown out against Oklahoma, let's be honest. Uh, they should have lost that game by, I don't know, 28. Uh, they were extremely fortunate. Though You can't deny those injuries. This is a huge letdown spot also after losing that game. It pretty much washes away any of their hopes and dreams, You know their, their big aspirations with their second loss of the year. Kansas off a bye, new offensive coordinator. I think they'll have some things cooked up here. 
classic flat spot for Texas. Uh, you on the Jayhawks with me, right? Yeah, yeah. I was I was looking at the. I mean, I wrote it up in the Sunday morning column uh, a couple weeks ago that they fired their offensive coordinator and the Brent Deerman uh, guy that they brought in as a disciple of Gus Malzahn, publishing a couple books about the art of the RPO and and how to run the RPO successfully. A wizard. Now, I mean, we say that about people like uh, Sean Gleason at Oklahoma State. You know, we've said that about other offensive coordinators. It doesn't mean that it translates immediately, but it's going to be something that Texas has no way to prepare for. They have no way to prepare for this. They're in a flat spot. Everybody's hurt. This is just a game i don't think they care about covering a number this big they just want to get out with a win period i completely agree there and I, you know it's probably it'll i think it'll be scary for a while as long as kansas mm-hmm. doesn't, doesn't come out like they did against tcu they get an early score and like the new offensive coordinator after a bye so they're good there's some unpredictability some unfamiliarity with what kansas is going to run i'm sure they'll have a few trick plays it's 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 less at the end of the day uh so i think kansas can stay within 21 now, I'll be regretting this when they're down 45 nothing at the half, um, but hopefully not. Uh, another game here in the Big 12 that I love, it's probably my favorite play on the board this weekend, is Oklahoma State. I was able to get them three with a little juice early in the week at home against Baylor. Uh, this is just a classic spot to buy Oklahoma State at home off a bye after that loss against Texas Tech, where I think they turned it over five times. This offense is explosive, explosive. Mm-hmm. Maybe one, of, maybe the best back in Chuba Hubbard. Too many people call him Chuba. Tylen Wallace on the outside. Sanders, who also can run the ball. This is a running offense. I think they're running it like 60% of the time. But, you know, after a bye, playing a Baylor team, which, and don't sleep on this, lost Clay Johnston, their linebacker, leading tackler, heart of that defense. It's just a huge loss for a front seven that was playing so well. Love what Matt Rule's doing down there and i love usually backing him but this is a gundy spot uh i like oak state up to anything four or under what do you see here yeah 100 i make the game up to five uh you know oklahoma state is i echo everything that you say especially with the injury uh and uh that's going to be tough for them to come back from especially with the numbers that they had put up uh and i think you know, one thing that people forget is that last year Oklahoma State went into a bye week with a lot of issues. They had offensive linemen missing assignments. They had offensive linemen pulling, had pulling guards that were moving the wrong way. Uh, penalties galore. Taylor Cornelius was a mess. The defense was a mess. Uh, everybody needed a reset button. They went into the bye week. They came out of it and they upset Texas. Uh, one of the best games of the year last year in the Big 12. Gundy has got everybody on the same page now coming out of this bye week. I think the number is a lot higher, and I think they're going to be able to expose. I mean, Baylor, I know a lot of people were throwing money down on Baylor, you know, the ranked team, the the, the big contender in the Big 12 uh, being a, a dog uh, in Stillwater. But, uh, yeah, go Pokes all the way this weekend. And this is probably going to be, like, you know, the biggest money line piece that I have because I did miss out on the three. It's not coming back. It's a three and a half at a couple shops, four everywhere else. It's not coming back to three, so I've got to make this a money line piece. Yeah, the, the one thing you worry about, and Oklahoma State's is just so explosive. The one thing they need to get better at is Sanders needs to stop throwing picks. They killed them against Texas Tech. He had three picks. So hopefully after the bye, they got some of that figured out. Only other game I want to mention in the Big 12, Iowa State, Texas Tech. It is Brocktober. Iowa State is seven-point favorite <laughs> at Lubbock. Tech's defense is actually playing much better than I thought it would this year. I love this Iowa State defense. I took a little piece of the under. Do you see anything in that game you like? Yeah, I'm going to be taking Texas Tech. Uh, they're at seven. The number's going to drop. I'm actually probably going to be placing a bet here live. You're going against Brock I'm going against Brock I mean, it's seven points. I think the seven points is too high, and Texas Tech's actually put a lot of pressure on the quarterback on defense. So uh, I, I agree that it could become a shootout, but at the same time, I think it's a one-possession shootout. 
Yeah, I actually think it's going to be lower scoring than many think. Now, it's tough because Texas Tech wants to play as fast as humanly possible, so it's always tough to right. play in, in that circumstance. But, um, all right, moving on to the Big Ten, we're going to get to Michigan-Penn State later. So the only uh, game I want to talk about here, since we already talked about Wisconsin, we already talked about Ohio State, just real quick, one sentence on Minnesota-Ruckers. Minnesota is a 28.5-point favorite at Rutgers. I have a do-not-bet list every year, <laughs> and I put teams college basketball – college football, uh, but in every sport. In college football, UMass has been on there all year. Last year, UConn was on there, and a couple other teams. UTSA ended up on there. This year, it was just UMass, and then a couple weeks ago, Rutgers was added. Somehow, I didn't. I haven't still added Akron because it's the MAC. I should, and they still haven't covered, by the way. But I can't bet Rutgers under any circumstance, right? Are, are, are they unbettable? Yeah, I mean, they've been UMassed. I mean, we, we can't bet them under any number, any steam, any market indicator that tells us that it should be a play, any advanced stat in the box, doesn't anything. It doesn't matter. We can't play these guys. They're 130th in first downs. They, they're the worst in the country. They average 11 per game, 11. I think they had six last game. I mean, they're, they are, they are regressing. From 130th. You can't do that. 130th is the bottom. Mathematically, they're pretty fun to watch here on paper, but uh, on the TV, it's 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 gross. My favorite, yeah, my favorite stat of the year so far, though, is Langan. He's a third-string quarterback, a transfer from BC. BC's down to, like, their seventh-string quarterback because they had, like, five guys transfer. Anthony Brown's out for the year, by the way. Langan last week went 5 of 13 for one yard. Uh, that's just sad. I would, it would look better zero yards. <laughs> Or negative, and you just say, oh, sack, just 5 of 13 for one yard just looks hysterical, and that's what the Rutgers program is right now. It really should be a FCS team. All right, let's move on to Conference USA. One of the games that I'm looking forward to the most this weekend is Southern Miss La Tech. Southern Miss is a one-point favorite at La Tech. Uh, Southern Miss, I backed. Last week, I backed them against Troy. I think they just really benefited from, you know, they played Mississippi State in a game. They lost by 23, but the game was a lot closer than the box score. They played, they went to Bama and got beat up. I think they're benefiting from that now. Had a bye, beat North Texas last week by 18. But this is a, a pretty good game. We have some rest in voodoo to worry about. La Tech hosting. Mm-hmm. Any feel there? I don't know if it's going to make it. It's La Tech or nothing for me. And really, it comes down to what are these teams' defenses? Because, you know, this is the strength of La Tech's offense against the strength of Southern Miss' defense. And uh, the one area that I, I've been focusing on is like the red zone percentages and, and opponent red zone percentages. So, red zone defense. La Tech has actually been in the top 25 in like every category, like points per attempt, TD scoring, scoring percentage, as to where Southern Miss has been outside the top 100. So, that. You know, it makes it tough, and, and they both have had terrible schedules so far. Their strength of schedule both behind, uh, both under ninety, uh, outside of ninety. So, uh, you know, it's not like either of them have had a really tough time getting here to this point. With, with all things being equal, the you know the strength on strength is the La Tech offense against Southern Miss defense, but La Tech's defense in the red zone is what the difference is in this game. And the moment everyone's been waiting for. While you were dumpster diving during the week, uh, and for those who don't know what I'm referring to, when a notification comes through in the action app that Colin put a play, and we saw a Bowling Green which I'll make you explain. Uh, and we saw UTSA against Rice. Now, this game is funny. Rice is 0-6. <laughs> They're four-and-a-half-point favorites at UTSA. I told you, by the way, that Rice under was a lock. Notable here, I believe UTSA's quarterback, not that it matters that much with that offense, but mm-hmm. their quarterback is, is out for the year. But explain your dumpster diving here and uh, playing meet me. Listen. Rice should not be four and a half point favorites on the road. 
that's an asinine number, all right? And the UTSA defense, they're still very much havoc-minded. So Rice is, you know, is going to turn the ball over. UTSA is good at forcing turnovers. Rice should not be favored on the road. It's a spot where, listen, I know all of you got on me last week about UTSA and UAB. UTSA covered that almost the entire game. UTSA is going to get it this week. They're still motivated. They're still fired up. They're still playing for something. And there's no way Rice should be a four-and-a-half-point favorite over anybody in the FBS. It's ludicrous. Did your book pay you 80% of your bet amount since they were covering for 80% of the game? <laughs> they were covering 99% of the game. They should have paid me 99% of it. UTSA's defense is respectable, and they're definitely the better Havoc defense. All right, moving on. Uh, Independence, we have two pretty interesting games. Army and Georgia State. I mean, you want to talk about two teams that are completely contrasting in style. Georgia State wants to chuck it around. Army, obviously, is a triple option team. Army's a four-and-a-half-point favorite. They were five, and I think it got off the six and a half down to four and a half, over under 57-ish. Uh, what do you see here? Yeah, I could. I, the number went against me. I mean, I took it on open with uh, Army at six, and uh, the whole thinking behind it was, is like, Georgia State is high. You know, I was mentioning Wake being at 87 plays per game. Georgia State's at 85 plays per game. But the thing is, is you can't run your offense when you're playing Army because Army's going to shave you down to about eight possessions in the game, and you better make them count. And it's not like Georgia State on offense is any kind of success rate monster or anything. They're not. Uh, so they're going to have limited number of possessions. Uh, and I think Army's going to get back to you know running triple option. That's a real problem for Georgia State because the reason why I hit it on open is because Georgia State is 104th in line yards, 117th in passing down line yards, 98th in an opportunity. I mean, just go on and on. They're they're outside everything. And so you know this is a game where Army should dominate the trench. And in games where Army dominates the trench, I'm gonna I'm gonna back them. All right, another interesting game. Independence. Uh, we also have Maine at Liberty, by the way. Fucking maple-scented pieces of shit. you, Maine. Boise State at BYU. A lot of quarterback questions here. I think Backmeyer's out for Boise. They have quarterback depth with uh, Chase Cordy can come in and play. Boise, by the way, six and zero, ranked number fourteenth in the country. BYU is just reeling. They're two and four. All kinds of quarterback issues. My favorite thing that I dug up this week was Zach Wilson, their starting quarterback, is out for the year. Jaron Hall backup who started last week and got hurt he now might play you know they're being really quiet on they said all three were practicing today if he doesn't play it'll either be baylor romney or joe critchlow well baylor romney is the brother of gunner romney who's a wide receiver on the team and they're both related to mitt romney and joe critchlow the other quarterback is married to mitt romney's granddaughter so i, I lost track of what the mm -hmm. hell was going on but I, it's then then i see mitt romney is coming out today saying he's in favor of uh, college athletes getting paid. Well, it makes sense. His whole family's on BYU. He's tired of footing the bill. You know, I look at this game and just everything I've been seeing, and this BYU front, offensive line, their defensive line, their schedule's been brutal. Quarterback questions. Boise's defense, really good and get a lot of pressure. Two great corners. That offense is playing well. I, I can't back BYU here other than, hey, there's going to be some BYU magic. I, don't, I can't lay seven. With Boise, and then there's all the quarterback questions as well. I think I'm just staying away here. How about you? It's a complete stay away because we don't know how to power rate all of these quarterbacks that you just brought up. I know what the number would be if Zach Wilson was playing. It should be BYU plus five. So if you take him out of the equation, I would make him four points, which would make this game around, I don't know, eight and a half or nine. I don't know what we're going to get. I don't know how you handicap it or how you how you get money down in this game with an angle. Yep. All right, but let's move on to some action. I swear we won't spend too much time here. I, I played Ball State. I have a uh, stinking suspicion that uh, Guadani, their Toledo's quarterback, is going to be out for the year. No announcement yet. There's also Bowling Green, who you played during your dumpster dive this weekend. Bowling Green is off a huge win. They beat 
Toledo as 27 point underdogs. It beat them 20 to 7. Uh, you're going back to the well here with the. What is the MAC championship going to be? If, hold on, let me just look this up real quick. The season ended today. It would be Kent State versus Ball State in the MAC championship. But yeah, what do you see in the MAC? You can you can cover Bowling Green or wherever you want to go. Yeah, I just wanted to go. I mean, I think Bowling reading that they're fired up uh, about what they pulled off last week. They are clicking on all cylinders. Best week of practice they ever had. This should continue. That they figured something out. Uh, if that is true, then the market hasn't truly, we, we were not able to adjust for that. I know that I did not adjust Bowling Green that much, uh, from the win over Toledo last week. And so, you know, if they, if Bowling Green truly has figured something out, they're heading in the right direction, then that's something that I want to get ahead of. And if it costs me a unit to figure it out, I mean, that's fine. But I mean, they had 425 yards of offense last week. You know, they were able to beat a decent Toledo team, even if, you know, they were missing their quarterback. I'm sure the backup at Toledo is better than anything that, you know, Bowling Green's got. So I, 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 we're going to roll with it here and, and see what see what Bowling Green can do. All right. You'll be alone there. Um, all right. Let's move on to the Mountain West. Another fascinating matchup here. We talked about Army and Georgia State in contrasting styles. Air Force, Hawaii. Late night. On the island, triple option versus run and shoot. By the way, Hawaii did play Navy last last year, so they did see the option then uh, when they traveled like 17,000 miles for a noon kick in Annapolis. But I just don't know how either team will stop the other. Like, how is Air Force just not going to run triple option all the way down the field? And how's Hawaii not just going to answer? I'll be live betting this game late. I'll be playing Hawaii, I think. I mean, Air Force is 95th in uh, defensive passing success rate. So their opponents are able to throw all of them all day. And I think that's just going to be a huge change for, for Air Force. Yeah, but do you think Hawaii can the, stop the triple option? Absolutely not. But uh, I, I think Hawaii is going to be able to score much quicker. But, you know, I mean, Air Force can break it off and run too. But, I mean, if you're going to give me this, then Air Force has been playing at such a high pace against different looking teams. And, I mean, this is some this is uh, a travel issue here, an elevation issue coming down. Hawaii is going to be the fresher team. And they're the team that's going to be winning the game through the air. So, uh, but you're right. I mean, Air, I, I, air Force is going to be able to do what they want on the ground. I just favor the team going up against the worst pass defense. Air Force is not good against the pass whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Does every Hawaii game go over this year? I don't know how you don't bet the over again, but I'll, I'll be live <laughs> betting it. I mean, I swear every Hawaii game has gone over. All right, and then the other game I just wanted to bring up with the Mountain West, San Diego State, San Jose State. San Diego State is, you know, their offense still can't get it going. Their defense is playing excellent. They got us the cover last week against Wyoming. But if there's one team that cannot figure out the San Diego State, you know, patented three three five defense, it is San Jose State. Aztecs, here's what they their points totals since 2014 against San Diego State. Final point totals, 7, 7, 3, 7. Last year they scored 13, 37 points in the last five matchups, a little over 7 a game. Um, they just can't figure out the San Diego State offense. I just wanted to bring that up. I think it's really tough to take San Jose State in this spot and maybe even tougher to take an over in this game. And the reason is because if you look at the time of possession, San Jose State, I mean, they're 117th. They only like to only have the ball about 26 minutes. They're inefficient with three and outs or they are down the field and scoring. Uh, They don't score that much, though. You know, San Diego State, even though they've moved to this spread attack, it's still Rocky Long possession ball control. Their time of possession is third. I think this is going to be a thing where San Jose State just doesn't get a lot of they don't get a lot of turns having the ball and it's going to make it tough on them. To not just score points, but I mean, you know, the, taking it over here is probably dangerous. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to the Pac-12. Before we get to a few games in the marquee games of the week, let's talk Arizona-USC. It's a really interesting game that 
you know, I don't know how Arizona stops USC and their air raid and their receivers. They don't get any pressure on the quarterback. They have one of the worst pass defenses in the country. USC should score well, but shouldn't Arizona? But I don't know what to expect from Khalil Tate. Is he actually going to run? Because if he can, you could run all day off the edge. Uh, and so would Taylor. I mean, Arizona should run wild against USC off the edge. Mm-hmm. That, that young defense has been undisciplined all year. But it's to Tate just sometimes he doesn't take off and he's inconsistent. But just overall, the Arizona offense has been extremely explosive. And the USC defense, I mean, the only notable healthy cornerback going into this game is a true freshman, Chris Steele. They have no cornerbacks left. They're all hurt. So it makes me want to look at Arizona. We have some Pac-12 after the dark here, maybe even the over. I don't know who stops who in this game. This could be a classic Pac-12 after dark matchup. What do you see? Yeah, USC's defensive line metrics are pretty bad, too. Outside the top 100 in line yards, 115th in opportunity rate, 105th in stuff rate. They're not getting in the backfield. They're not stopping anybody, and uh, you know their sack rate's only 74, so it's not like they're going to get any pressure on Khalil Tate. But at the same time, Arizona is 119th in defensive pass rates, passing success rate. They are allowing teams to throw all over them. That's going to be great for Kidon Slovis. USC may have a little bit of a better defense, although not on the ground against the rushing attack. Kidon Slovis should have no problems throwing on this Arizona team whatsoever. So this is one of those games where I've got it lined at 7.5. It's hanging in the dead number at 9.5. Throw this in the bucket of teams that I'm looking as a favorite to Moneyline Parlay because I'm sitting in this dead range. Fair enough. All right, let's move on to the SEC. Uh, Let's talk Florida, South Carolina. Talk about a weird situation to handicap. South Carolina off that huge upset uh, at Georgia. And, you know, you have Florida coming off just a brutal stretch, right? They beat Auburn and they go to LSU. They have a bye next week and then Georgia. So it could be a, a little flat spot here. For Florida, but in South Carolina, do they come out emotionally flat if they're such a big upset? It looks like South Carolina's quarterback will play. It looks like Florida's top two pass rushers will not. It's a it's a really tough game to cap for me. Line sitting at Florida minus five. This is a pure stay away for me. How about you? It's a South Carolina or nothing for me. Uh, I mean, you mentioned the injuries there to Florida. South Carolina wasn't that great at protecting the quarterback on the offensive line, but they are good at running the ball. Uh, their offensive line has been successful in line yards, ranking 19th, 12th in stuff rate. So they're you know they're able to get the yards when they need in the rushing game. Helensky was kind of coming into his own, but I think I just keep coming back to you know you and I were tweeting back and forth during the fourth quarter of the Florida LSU game, and and I think all I could come back with on you, I mean, man, Florida was scoring you know at will against the LSU defense that I thought was better than what they showed last week but at one point you know i tweeted back at you saying florida's gonna run out of gas at some point well here we are auburn lsu and now we're on you know another week away from home i just don't think florida's gonna have anything in the tank whatsoever now let's talk about south carolina are they truly on a hangover see here's what a hangover is to me a hangover is not just upsetting a team or winning as an underdog a hangover is where you played out of your mind you played out of your gourd like you were just you you did things that you've never done before that's not what happened last week if you look at the real-time box score, South Carolina had an 8% win expectancy in that box score. They only had one offensive touchdown. They had a pick six. Their only pick six that ever happened to Jake Fromm. Georgia, the conservative play calling, the what they're doing on standard downs is atrocious. That deserves a whole other podcast, a whole other time. But you know they didn't kick Rodrigo at the end. Then they got to overtime, and he missed a kick. South Carolina didn't win that game. 
Georgia lost that game. South Carolina didn't do anything special to win that game whatsoever. So are you truly on a hangover if you didn't play out of your mind or if you didn't play out of your own boundaries? I don't think South Carolina at all is going to be on a hangover here. I think they're going to be fired up, and I think they may have a little – it could be false confidence – what I do know is Florida is on their third straight SEC game in a row, their second straight uh, week on the road. Uh, I think it's a good spot to back South Carolina. Yeah, that South Carolina defense is playing really well. That defensive line with Dowdle and Feaster and Professor Muschamp. You know Muschamp obviously is going to have his team up for this game. That's the one thing for that Florida. I, I oh, yeah. go back to for Florida. He Since he's taken over, after that Missouri game, he took over play calling on defense. He switched them to more of you know, playing 4-3 more, and it's really served their defense well. If, Sa- if South Carolina wins this game against Florida – I mean, we are just a Missouri victory over Georgia away from having some second, third place team in the SEC East trying to beat Alabama or LSU in the SEC championship game. I mean, Missouri can really, I mean, if there's a loss here, the dominoes are just lined up for Missouri to really cause havoc in that in that division. Yeah, if they are granted their appeal, uh, I think the NCAA is waiting to see what happens here. If they're not, yeah. you could get an SEC champion with two or three losses. That's what I'm saying, right? If they are denied their appeal. They yep. could win the SEC East, not go to the championship game, which means second place would go, which you know it potentially could have two or three losses. The dominoes are lined up for some craziness to happen, and South Carolina would be the first domino, and Missouri beating Georgia would be the next. To add something, I saw this on, on, on Twitter. Since 2000, there's been 14 teams to win outright as 20-point underdogs, and then our underdogs in the following week. Those teams are 11-3 and three against the spread. But there's only, I think there was only one that pulled off the outright upset. So should be an interesting game. And keep in mind, look, so if South Carolina wins out, I think they go to the college football playoff. I mean, it's great. They have three losses. But they would beat Alabama. Uh, they would beat Clemson. They would be, I mean, they beat Florida. They beat Georgia. I mean, I don't know. But here's what would happen. If Alabama, if South Carolina wins out, Florida beats Georgia, Missouri loses to both Georgia and Florida. South Carolina wins the SEC East with with a four team tiebreaker at six and two. It could get crazy if you got South Carolina in the college football playoff. Now they're not going to win all those games, but it's fun to think about. All right, one more to answer. We're running low on time here. One more to answer. In, so we cover the Sun Belt. La Monroe or App State or over or under? What do you What do you like there? Uh, we're going to go with App State. Okay, App State rolls. All right, let's get to the marquee games of the week. It's another fabulous weekend of college football. Let's check out the marquee matchups we'll all end up betting for week eight. Let's talk Michigan-Penn State. Penn State, nine-point favorite. Uh, you know, I think they're overvalued again. They haven't played anybody. Everyone was so impressed with their win over Maryland. Well, Maryland's out here getting curb stomped by Purdue's practice squad. And Penn State deserved to lose at Iowa last week. I mean, Sean Clifford was absolutely horrid, horrid. They, they couldn't do anything on offense. What was he, three-point? Three and a half yards per attempt. Penn State mm-hmm. prayer to get out of that game with a win. Michigan's defense playing better of late, but what offense have they played? Wisconsin was the only really good one, and Wisconsin drilled them. So this line is just inflated because, you know, I assumed that Iowa and Penn State should have been a coin flip in Iowa City last week. And Penn State's about three points better than Iowa. And I was confirmed that my thoughts were confirmed in that game. You right. know, if you look at Iowa, Iowa was a, what, a three, three and a half point dog at Michigan. And now Michigan's catching nine here at Penn State. I just don't know if I trust this Michigan offense and Shea Patterson. He's just been awful. You know, the, the environment will be raucous. Uh, I think it's Michigan or nothing based on value, but I don't know if I've seen enough. Uh, and it's a horrible spot that he just hasn't won well in Ann Arbor. What do you see here? 
Yeah, I think it's Penn State or nothing. The problem is I think it's I think it's inflated. I think it should be six and a half. But they're calling for a whiteout seismic event. That's exactly what Franklin said. Everybody come bring your white. We're going to make it a seismic event. We're going to sell the place out, and we're going to be rocking. So, you know, Penn State's third in Havoc. Michigan's offense moved up to 55th in Havoc allowed. They were atrocious to start the season. Uh, I think Michigan's going to have problems again holding on to the ball. Penn State's defense is for real. Uh, you know, they're third in opponent. Uh, I'm sorry, opportunity rate. Third and stuff rate. They're getting into backfield. Shea Patterson should be in passing downs quick. Second down should probably always be a passing down to them. You know, I think finishing drives is the biggest key to this game, and that favors Penn State. Because when Michigan gets into opponent territory, they've just been they've been terrible. Penn State is seventh in red zone scoring percentage. Penn State's defense is fifteenth in red zone points allowed. Michigan's a hundred and third in red zone points per attempt. Lots of field goals. They've they have settled for a lot less points than what they should have got for as far as their offensive got them. So, Penn State minus nine might be a small investment, but putting Penn State as a money line with some of these others I've mentioned during the podcast is going to be the bigger play. Now, I'm going to put those on the action app. Don't worry about it. I'm still working on the numbers and waiting for them to settle and all that. But you know, things like Penn State, Oklahoma State, SMU, those are the ones that I'm saying favorite money line for the week. Fair enough. We'll have all these. Marquee games will have in-depth write-ups on ActionNetwork.com and the Action app. Uh, so make sure you check out those. We'll go way more in-depth, uh, Kyle and myself, Kyle Miller. All right, let's talk about another game here. Two Pac-12 games we'll go through quickly. Oregon-Washington. Uh, Oregon, is looks like there's still a three-point favorite. It's ticked down sometimes, ticked back up. Three-point favorite at Washington. You know, what I can't get over is this Washington defense is just not the same. I you know Arizona last week was just kind of beating themselves they're two and their two losses. Eason looked so bad against Stanford and against Cal, who got pressure on him. And I know Oregon's going to bring a ton of pressure. Javon Holland, their star safety, who I love, looks like he's healthy. I thought he was going to be out for a while in that game last week. Now, Oregon isn't the same team on the road. That is what scares me. I think I might end up staying away here. I might get involved live. Uh, but you like the Huskies here, right? Yeah, I do. And, uh, you know, first when the first number first came out, I said, wow, this is way off my projection of minus two and a half. And I know other people have this at uh, at a pick. Uh, and I know the odds makers had it at a pick because this thing ballooned out to Oregon minus three. Uh, you know, I get into the narrative that Oregon is terrible on the road and, and Washington is good at home. But, hey, that's the truth. Oregon's had three wins in their past 12 road games. Washington's 19 and one the last 20 games at home. My problem with Oregon now, I'm not going to talk about the defense. I think the defense is stellar. It's outstanding. It's it, Andy Avalos. Uh, you know, Broyles award winner. He should, I mean, at least he should be up for consideration. They've been fantastic. They're top 10 in tackles for loss. But Washington's offensive line is is, is within the top 20 and Havoc allowed, and they have not allowed a lot of tackles for loss whatsoever. They've kept Eason fairly clean. They've kept the running game at least to get up to the line of scrimmage as they rank 14th in stuff rate. So Washington's done a good job of keeping defenders out of the backfield, unlike Auburn. Oregon was all over them. My problem is the Oregon offense and the offensive coordinator Marcus Arroyo, Mario crystal ball they're not explosive a you have a ferrari in the garage and his name is justin herbert and your passing explosiveness is 75th in the country this conservative play calling this crap with georgia and oregon this conservative play calling and standard downs is what keeps the cal game and the stanford game close for oregon and it's what kept the notre dame game close for georgia i mean it gets you into a lot of trouble here and that's my problem here so i i'm taking washington the points and and uh they will be in my uh round robin dog parlay for sure Yep, uh, we'll have uh, a write-up for that game as well. Keep in mind that uh, their, you know, Oregon's potential All-American tight end, Jacob Breedland, their most reliable yeah, pass catcher, is also out for the year. That's a huge loss. They also lost their Cumberlander, their great defensive end recently. Those are two big losses for the Ducks. Um, 
By the way, one other thing, Vanderbilt, I also Akron hasn't covered, Vanderbilt hasn't covered. I wanted to mention them, just that their Vanderbilt is 21-point underdogs to Missouri. I just wanted to say to Kale Garrett, who's out for the year, one of the best linebackers in football. I love watching him play on Missouri because I hated to see it. Uh, anyway, the last game we wanted to cover here in the marquee games, Arizona State, Utah. Look, this line is really sharp. It was a good spot, something that we've been waiting to – we've been wanting to play Utah in this spot. 13.5-point mm-hmm. favorites. The over-under has crashed here. Could be some wind and weather. Uh, two good defenses, two teams that want to run the ball. If this gets a 14 to above, I'll have to seriously look at Arizona State. Herm Edwards has faced 14 Power 5 opponents since he's got the Tempe. 12 of them have ended in one possession, decided in the final minutes. He just, you know, people want to give him shit, but he has a great staff, and he's a good coach. You know, he's a great defensive coordinator with Gonzalez. Marvin Lewis, one of the best defensive coordinators in NFL history, is just a assistant on the team. They come up with great game plans. So in a game I think might be lower scoring than the line implies, I, I I might look if this gets to 14 or above. What do you see here? I think people don't realize that Herm has not lost a Pac-12 game by more than seven points. That's a that's a crazy stat. Uh, after a sluggish, you know, offensive games against Sac State and Michigan State, uh, Jalen Daniels he's really been great through the air, and that might have a little bit of success against Utah. I mean, you think of defensive passing success rate of 91st. Think of Matt Fink and USC, just you know, deep bombs, rainbows over the Utah defense. I don't think there's any value in the side for me. I got it at 12 and a half. Obviously, there is value on Arizona State at 14 or above, but I project this number to be around 50 for the total and yeah it is dipping because of the weather but there's varying reports 50 percent thunderstorms wind involved i'm gonna wait to see what happens with that precipitation because i mean there's a chance that it, it might not happen there'll be a clear report early saturday morning um you know and both offenses are going to be able to get the underneath pass uh i, I think with arizona state's 335 they're they're going to confuse tyler huntley a little bit but they're you know i think it's going to turn up to be a lot of uh, dump outs and everything but 44 is low for the you know kind of defenses that we got here so I, I just think if the weather clears up then i think that an over 44 would be the best way to play Fair enough. And like I said, we'll have right up an in-depth write-up for that game. Before we get out of here, let's go three and out. One, two, three. Let's make it a quick three and out. All right, let's uh we'll start with Friday night lights. Let's hear it, gentlemen. Clear eyes, full hearts. Let's go play some football. Let's go. Give me your favorite Friday night bet. Pitt. Pitt's fifth in havoc. Syracuse's offense is 96 in havoc allowed. Take Pitt. I, I got my eye on a couple Q's D-backs. Uh, I wrote that up to see if they're going to be eligible. Two outstanding freshmen. One freshman All-American, Cisco, which I think will help their defensive backfield. Two great defenses in that game. And you're right, Pitt's offense has been better. But don't sleep on the special teams advantage for Q's. Enormous in that game. Pitt's special teams have been disastrous. Uh, I'll, I'll also throw a shout-out for the UNLV Fresno under Marshall. Yeah, I think Marshall at anything five and a half or above. Um, all right, let's move on to second down here and go with our favorite overdog. For those not familiar, that means favorite. Uh, we had a voicemail caller call it and say you need to start betting more overdogs, thinking the opposite of an underdog is an overdog. Well, that's not how it works, but we adopted it here on the podcast. Uh, I think we have the same one here. I'm going Oklahoma. I bet <laughs> the first half and for the game. Um, and it's going to float around in the dead zone between 31 and 34. Austin Kendall's questionable, the quarterback for West Virginia. They are down to just mm-hmm. all freshmen and their suspensions and their secondary. It's a nightmare. They're turnover prone. The Oklahoma defense is obviously much improved. I think they come out with a focused effort after, you know, kind of execution was was really bad last week against Texas. So I, I think Oklahoma rolls West Virginia here after they've played Iowa State and Texas. I think they're a little exhausted here for a noon kick, 11 a.m. local. And it's the fourth yeah. straight week 
that Oklahoma's played in this time slot while West Virginia has to travel for it. So I think Oklahoma rolls. It's called the overdog parlay. Absolutely, Oklahoma in this spot. Two red zone turnovers for Jalen Hurts. He was upset about it after the game. That's all he could think about. I expect a get healthy game this week. Uh, OU's Havoc rate is 32nd. That defense is legit and real. West Virginia, 108th, and Havoc allowed. Oklahoma's going to put it up on them. Uh, I think I just talked myself into a first half bet. Yep, I already bet them uh, minus 20 and a half. And uh, finally, third down, underdog money line parlay. Turning good weekends into great weekends. It's time for the Moneyline Parlay. Uh, I'm rolling with Tulane. I already mentioned them, plus 145, plus 150. Who are you rolling with here? South Carolina. I already mentioned it, plus 180. There we go. That's your Moneyline Underdog Parlay of the week. We've hit one every single week, so hopefully we could finally <laughs> marry them this week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining me, Colin. Make sure you rate, review, tell a friend. You know the deal. Don't forget about the voicemail line this weekend. Cheers. Peace out.